Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Eric Russell as we continue our weekly servant leadership discussions and we explore the power of persuasion. Dr. Eric Russell, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be with you again. Um, We're excited to continue our weekly servant leadership series where we discuss different aspects of servant leadership uh, and the core components and elements that are really essential to organizational leaders being effective and successfully, you know, uh, driving uh, a safe and healthy uh, organizational. Uh, organization and workplace for their employees. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the power of persuasion um, generally, but also as it specifically relates to servant leadership and why it's so important uh, for effective leaders to have that that uh, power and how they can go about um, creating that and, and maintaining that over time. Uh, for listeners who may not uh, have had a chance to listen to previous episodes in this series. Um, I encourage you to go back and take a look, uh, listen to uh, those previous episodes. We've talked about some really interesting topics. And uh, you may recall uh, that Dr. Eric Russell is an associate professor of emergency services at Utah Valley University and is an HCI research associate. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have uh, the opportunity to continue our discussion. Um, this week, Eric. Um, anything you want to add by way of introduction before we dive on in? No, I'm, I'm ready to get this one going. This is such an interesting topic. Great. So how would you describe the power of, dis- of persuasion and why do you feel it's important? So there's different ways that you can get people to do something. Um, there's the Machiavellian ways, fear, um, holding things over their heads. But the most powerful way is the power of persuasion. And persuasion itself comes from trust. So here's how it works. You have an idea and you want to see that idea brought to fruition. Because you have a fantastic relationship with your people, um, you can go to them, you can put out that idea, and, and here, here's the first thing where, where trust exists. As you're putting out that idea to your people, your people trust in you and they trust in your ability to, to conceptualize, they trust in your foresight because you've earned that from them over time. So when you come in with this idea, they automatically, they want to grab onto it and they want to run with it because they know that 
deep in your heart, you have the best interest of them and the organization um, at hand. So that, that, is where, that is where persuasion um, becomes the easiest way to lead people. It is they trust in you, they believe in what you have to say, and they want to carry out whatever your vision is and, and, bring, it, and, and bring it into reality. And as leader, it's not easy to do because it's based on character, it's based on behavior, all this kind of stuff. But once you can establish that type of a relationship with your followers, your life is on easy street to get people to want to do something. Because with persuasion, it becomes that your followers feel that it's almost like it's their own idea. They buy into it automatically. They don't have, you don't have to sit there and constantly try to sell them something. The idea, because of who you are as a servant leader, the idea sells itself. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and I think it's, it's useful, perhaps, to contrast healthy persuasion with other forms of influence. Um, because there's lots of ways to get people to do stuff. Uh, I often talk with students and with leaders about um, compliance versus commitment, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's easy to be a leader um, that uses fear um, and uses carrot and stick tactics to get compliance with what you want people to do, right? Um, especially fear. Uh, and, but that's totally different than, than a leader that, that fosters what you were just talking about, trust and, um, and really fosters commitment uh, with, with his or her employees where they want, they, they, they intrinsically want to do those things. They want to, to perform their job well, they want to help the, the organization succeed. Uh, and that's what we need to be going for. Um, but, but again, there are so many different ways to influence behavior. You mentioned, you know, the, the, the classic behavioralist um, Pavlovian kind of response, right? You can, you can do that. Um, and that's largely driven through carrot and stick means. Um, there's lots of ways to emotionally and psychologically manipulate people um, to get them to do what you want. But that's not what we're talking about either. We're not talking about manipulation. We're talking about creating an environment where people um, recognize the mission and the vision and the purpose of the organization and the work that they do and that they buy in and that they want to contribute. And, and they're excited to get up in the morning. They are excited to get to work. They're excited to make their contribution. They're excited to collaborate. And, and they know that things won't be perfect and there will be setbacks, but it's all part of, of uh, helping the organization move forward and to provide better products and services for the customers. Um, so, so that's, the, you know, when we talk about persuasion, we're not talking about emotional or psychological manipulation. We're not talking about carrot and stick, you know, fear tactics and trying to just get people to comply with you or else we're talking about actually persuading where, uh, where you make a good argument, you help people understand the why behind what you're asking them to do. And when they understand the why, then they can move forward in a positive way. Yes. And not just that, I, I, like, I like how you said that. And it's not just understand the why, it's believe in it. You know, the, the, the power of persuasion, your life, your life is so easy because your people, even though they'll question things along the way because they want to make whatever it is right and strong and good, 
uh, your persuasion persuasion makes it easy on you because your people actually believe in what you have to say. There's a great book called Influencer that's out there. It's taught in every business program. Um, it's recommended far and wide. I'm one of those people that will recommend the book. But influence, at the heart of influence is credibility and trust, right? And so if you have credibility and your people trust you because of it, when you come in with these ideas, they want to run with these things because, because of who you are. And so your influence becomes very, very, I don't know, it, it, just, becomes, it just becomes second nature because people trust in who you are. For example, if you're an officer in the military and you've trained with your people and come up through the ranks and you've, you've, you've proven your abilities and all of a sudden you have a mission that you have to get done, yeah, your people are going to do what they're told based upon your rank, but it's going to be a completely different experience when they, when they trust in you. So it, it's, it, the old saying of, you know, you respect the rank, not the person wearing it. It's like that, that works for a saying, but to get people to, to be their best and to grab onto something and, and to run with it, it, it really comes from a trust, a trust in that leader. And so when that leader puts down a task, when they call out a mission, when they call out the play, it's just their character alone persuades people to want to do this. And it's not out of fear. Um, it, it, everything in servant leadership, I like to say, simplifies your role as a leader. It makes your life easier. It's a little, it's more work in the beginning, but once that, once it, once it starts moving forward, it goes on autopilot. And that's what the whole concept of persuasion is, is it's not manipulation. It's not coercion. It's getting people to do things and want to do things just because of who you are. And that's a real power. If you think about it. Yeah. It's, I, I was, I was trying to think about how to formulate, um, you know, my, my thought around this, this, uh, manipulation element. Um, and I'm not sure I'm there yet. So this might be clumsy, you know, as, as it comes out, but I, I think the, the main point I wanted to make was that people most people can tell when they're being manipulated. Um, most people can sense it. Um, not always, and some, some people are just incredibly skilled um, manipulators, incredibly skilled liars, um, and it's amazing sometimes what some people are capable of. But most people aren't um, skilled in that way, and most people, when they are trying to manipulate someone, when they're trying to, to lie to someone, when they're trying to use someone to get what they want, most people can tell um, when that's happening to them. You, your little spidey sense goes off and the little red flag goes off in your head and you feel uncomfortable and you feel like something's not right. Um, and so if we can just acknowledge that and remember that, then using some of these types of tactics that sometimes we read about in pop culture management books or pop culture leadership books, they're not research-based. Um, they might be based on, on some um, kind of psychology, but, but they're really uh, all about manipulation. 
And what we don't realize is if, if we buy into that, if we utilize those tactics, those techniques, people will, will know. People will know and we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot. We're actually making our job harder because we're eroding trust. Um, and, and I think it, for the type of persuasion that we're talking about, it can only be built over time and it can only be built as your words align with your actions and as people observe you and they can, they, they can see that you're someone that genuinely, sincerely cares about them and wants them to be successful, over time you build trust through having those types of interactions. Um, but, but on the flip side, you erode that trust anytime you lie, anytime you try to manipulate and people can, can sense it. Um, you erode that trust anytime you're, you, you try to step on people to get to where you wanna go. Um, and ultimately, you, you, you actually make your job harder rather than easier. Um, and so one of the reasons why, why persuasion is such like true persuasion, the way we're talking about it, the, way, the reason that, why that's so central to servant leadership uh, is because it's, it's a natural byproduct of servant leaders um, who genuinely are all about uh, helping and empowering and lifting the people around them. Others want to be around that kind of a leader. Others want to trust that kind of a leader and follow that kind of a leader. And then persuasion's not hard because they already buy in, they already trust them, and they already sense that this person who is asking me to do this thing, I may not fully understand it, but I know they have the best interests for me and the organization at heart, and they wouldn't ask me to do something that was wrong, they wouldn't ask me to do something that would be damaging, and so even if I don't understand it yet, I'll still try to help them, and I'll still try to do this. Uh, and then they, you know, over time they can they can learn and figure out why why they were asked to do it, even if they didn't fully understand it at the beginning. Um, that's that's the type of persuasion we're looking for, and that's that's kind of long term sustainable persuasion. That's not a flash in the pan. You know, I need to go out and do the hard sales tactic and get someone to to commit right now. Um, that's not what we're talking about, and that's not what's gonna what's going to um, serve organizations well. Right. Well, the thing is, is it starts in honesty. So let, let's talk about this for a second. Let's, let's say um, your organization is about to face, I don't know, and let's talk about what people going on right now. They're about to face an economic downturn. There's going to be a problem. Everybody's going to have to eat the sandwich, right? But as a leader, if you come in and you're open and honest about it and say, listen, this is going to suck. We're all going to go through it together. But these are the steps that we need to take in order to save us. And here's why. And you lay it out. You're just honest about it. Um, even if it's bad, people will, people will respect you and they will want to carry out whatever the mission is. It, it's the way it works. Companies that are secretive with their people, um, that that underhanded manipulation like if they if you walk in in this economic downturn and you have an entire room full of people that believe that you're a manipulator you're going to have a very hard time keeping that company afloat very hard time because they they're not going to believe in who you are because you've already established who your character is right and they already see it it's that maya angelou saying people so willingly show you who they are why is it you choose not to believe it but once people figure out that you're a manipulator, 
which is like one step above a con artist, um, you're toast. However, if people trust in you and you come in and you're like, all right, we need to write the ship. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Um, and, and then you like run with it, come up with ideas. People will go, people will grab on and they'll make it great. Credibility is one of those things. And we'll talk about that one time in in another talk, but credibility and trust once you lose that, it's almost impossible to gain. And if it starts going around the organization that you're a manipulator, you know, your un your your behavior, your behavior is is far more destructive um, than it is positive. People aren't gonna want to carry out what you what you do. They're not gonna trust you. And they're gonna be looking for ways to get out from underneath you too. So in one hand, they're supposed to be thinking about survival, but they're thinking about getting out. They're thinking about, all right, where the hell's the life raft? I'm gonna, I'm getting out of this. Where somebody who is trusted that can come in and persuade people because of their character to do something, their people aren't thinking where are the life raft. They're like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to fight. We're gonna be here and we're gonna continue to fight alongside of you. We're gonna, we're gonna make this right. There's a power in that. And I love the fact that you brought up manipulation. There's a, because that right there, it's ugly. We know that relationships get destroyed on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that when we're, when we're trying, manipulation is a shortcut. Let let, let me put it that way. Um, Carrot and stick, fear-based power. That's a shortcut. Um, it, it's way easier for me to be a leader and use those sorts of tactics to get people to do what I want them to do. Um, it's much harder to, to really truly persuade and create an environment from, you know, where people can feel motivated uh, and where the trust is built in a sustainable way over time. That's hard. That takes attentionality. That takes um, commitment over a long period of time. You have to build relationships. You have to recognize that you don't, you're not entitled to people's trust. You have to earn their trust. It doesn't matter what your position power is. It doesn't matter what your role is. People don't, won't automatically follow you just because you're in, you know, X, Y, Z role. Um, so we need to remember that. We need to remember that uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot anytime we, we take one of those shortcuts. And it's so appealing because leaders are so busy. They're so busy. They're so overwhelmed. They have so much weight on their shoulders because they're trying to juggle so many different things. And, and so then they, you know, they have this option. Well, I, I have this problem. I need to resolve it. I can either take this quick, easy approach that requires me to, you know, put my foot on some, the back of someone's neck and get, force them to do what I want them to do. And they'll just do it and then we'll be done. Or I can have the longer conversations. I can, you know, and, and, and do the, the long-term thing. Um, you've said it many times in the long run, it makes your job easier in the short run. It's more time, intentionality and effort. And so that's why so many leaders, even the best intended leaders, they often will fall back to these, these fear-based tactics. They'll often fall back to these manipulative, these manipulative tactics because they simply are strapped for time. They're simply strapped, um, for bandwidth. And they just need to get stuff off their plate. And so they just move things as quickly as they can so they can get on to the next thing. Um, 
what, what are your thoughts on that? Like as an organization, how can we, how can we build a healthy organization where leaders are put in a position where they actually can lead the right way rather than perpetuate, you know, a flawed system? I think it comes down for me personally, it comes down to giving people a chance to have a long-term outlook. We, a lot, a lot that's happened in the last 20 years with technology and social media and having access to everything within an instantaneous, you know, instantaneous gratification that, that happens. I believe that that has definitely crawled over into our organization to where you're right, leaders, leaders are bogged down with their roles and responsibilities. If you, if you are in charge of an organization, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. But let's look at it from a health standpoint, okay? I like, I like to use this example. If you say to somebody, hey, I'm going to go lose weight. I, I feel like I'm out of shape. I'm going to go lose weight. What do they do? Well, they'll start to just cut calories out of their diet. They'll eat some chicken breasts, um, maybe some broccoli, and go on. They'll start going and doing cardio. Well, in the interim, you will lose weight. Like right off the bat, you're going to lose weight because you're not eating a lot of calories and you're basically starving yourself. You're not eating the fats that you need. And you're going on a walk, so your body's going to burn stuff, and maybe you're going to run a little bit, and your body will, will burn some more calories off. Well, between 95 and 99% of the people who try to lose weight that way and be, become healthy that way will not only gain all of the weight back, but they'll also gain anywhere from 15 to 25% more weight within 36 months, right? So instead, it's you develop a, a change of a lifestyle, the way that you eat, the way that you exercise, you're going to get in, you're going to get into the gym, get in the kettlebells, build the lean muscle, because it's the only way to actually keep weight off. You're going to cut grains and sugar out of your diet because they've poisoned you and you change your lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, 36 months from now, chances are you're going to be a lean, mean fighting machine. And you're going to be able because you sustained, you changed. But it's, but it's harder that way. It takes longer to do something like that. It's not instant gratification. And that's what we've done with leaders because we've taken, number one, we've bogged them down. Being a manager is a ton of work. And so they need that instant, they need that instant thing to happen right now, even though it's not an emergency because they have so much on their plate. If leaders and managers and, and, and organization you know, owners, if they can take a little bit more of a, of a medium term view so they can actually have an outlook that is not next quarter, you would have an organization that would have this type of an environment that would understand that that quick fix never works in the long run. The quick fix never truly solves the problem. It's fix a flat on a bike ride. And the way I, the reason I use that weight loss analogy is because most people have struggled with that very issue. And they've said, I can't keep the weight off. And it's like, yes, because you're looking for the quick fix. You're not looking for the long-term change. 
And that's really where organizations have to be. They have to understand that it's a long game. Do you want to be an organization that's alive next month? Or do you want to be an organization that's alive in 50 years? And that, that long game play, you have to have a different mindset because you can't just keep shuffling things around and, and, try and, and try and, um, trying to hold everything up too. Because we also know if you, if you don't have the ability to persuade, chances are you're also a micromanager as well. So now you're even drowning under even more stuff. You're not trusting your people. They don't really trust in you. And so you have to stand over them constantly. I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind of my opinion of, of what the biggest problem is. It's that, it's that, that lack of trust and that quick fix, that, that quick bunk. But in the long run, it just never works out. Yeah, and I guess the question is, how do we get people to have a longer-term perspective? Open the aperture, look at the long, the the long-term horizon, and understand what the long-term implications are. And because we're in a society that rewards immediacy and and uh, and and quick outcomes, um, then people don't end up doing sustainable things. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is to it. How to how to get people to change their mindset? Um, I, I would suggest to organizations that they need to be uh, cognizant of the loads that they're putting on managers, that they need to make sure that they understand, you know, that they're, they're actually hurting the organization. You know, they may think they're saving money by cutting out positions, uh, but they're actually hurting the organization in the long run if they're, they're overwhelming managers to the extent where they don't actually have the time and ability to set up the organization for long-term success. So, I, you know, that, that's a hard thing, particularly in an economic downturn, um, when you're trying to, you know, cut budgets and, and make payroll. I understand that's hard, but, but we have to pay attention to these types of issues. Otherwise, we really, really hurt ourselves in terms of our, our long-term health. And it takes a long time to develop trust um, and to, to, develop, to develop commitment and to create an environment where people feel empowered and motivated. It takes a long time to set that up. It doesn't take very long to erode it, though. Um, you know, it could take years to really get your organization to a place where people are feeling safe and they're feeling heard and they're feeling empowered and they trust you and they, they know you genuinely, sincerely care about them. Um, it may take years to do that, but over the course of a, a relatively really short time, such as like the last few months during a pandemic when everyone's in crisis mode and you start to see leaders' true colors in terms of what their priorities are, that, that, that's all it takes to erode anything that was already there. Um, and so if, if you don't respond in the right way. So we, we just, we have to, we have to uh, hire and promote leaders that think this way. We have to give them manageable workloads and not expect a leader to work 80 hours a week um, to get their job done because guess what's going to happen if you do that? They're going to find ways to cut corners because they yeah. have to. It's necessity. It's just survival. Um, it's math. It's math. Yep. So so I'm, I'm wondering, and, and maybe tactic, uh, technique is not the right word, because um, we've already referred to manipulation, uh, and, and we, that's not what we want. But what what do you think are some specific ways um, 
that leaders can right now start the process of developing their persuasive power. Understanding, of course, you know, we want to build trust over time. It's a long-term, it's, it's, it's playing the long game, right? It's long-term sustainability of relationships. But what, what are some practical things that, that leaders can do right now today to start the process to get to right the ship and to get themselves put the right, you know, the, the right foot forward to, to make sure that they're now starting to, to lead in this way to, to really truly develop um, power of persuasion. Yeah. So one of the things that I would recommend is, and, and again, you can't, you can't jump in completely. Okay. Let's, let's start very, very small with a simple thing. Let's pick one thing that your organization has to deal with, whatever it is. You want to bring a group of people together. A lot of times those people, you, could have more influence in the organization with people. Others look up to them and all that kind of stuff. You put them in the room. And the first thing you do is say, Hey, listen, we have this problem. It's specific to this very thing. All right. So it's going to be small in the beginning. And then you have a great brainstorming session. You compliment people, you get their ideas and then, and then you work with them to put together basically a task list that that you that you want to bring whatever this is to fruition. Now remember, this is just an exercise. As the leader, you have to understand you're not curing cancer with this. You're just trying to figure out the best way to have the supply closet done. Okay? That's you start small. When all of those people in that room understand the why, okay, so why do we need this? Well, we had the local fire department here that was doing an inspection. We have to change this over. Uh, we have to add, we need to have this, this, and this, but we need to do it cost effective. Now, everybody's buying in. Everybody's giving their ideas. And you're, and you're listening to their ideas. And you're building out this plan, okay? Then you put that plan into action. And they're going to run with it, right? Because they were also a part of it. So they understand what the idea is. The idea is, hey, listen. The officials from whatever who can shut us down said that we have this issue, but we need to come up with a better way of doing things. But I trust you to come to the table and let's brainstorm these ideas. And then we're going to walk out of here and run with it. And now what you've did with those people is, is you've, you've made the idea theirs, which is that is the cornerstone of the ability to persuade is you make people believe not through manipulation, but through bringing them to the table that they are a part of the decision-making process, that they have ownership in this. And so you now have started with this one simple task, this one simple thing, and when it works, you do it again. And then you do it again, and then you do it again. And now when something's big, like, hey, our organization wants to move into, let's say you're a financial, let's say you're a financial firm and you want to move into a certain type of investment product or you are, um, say, a moving company, but you want to move into to, to the storage business. Any These small little things that when people feel that you trust what they have to say too, you give them their why and they can run with it, those small little things make it easier when that big task finally comes down. But when you start small, 
over time, persuasion comes easier in the bigger things. One of the issues when people read leadership books is they go, well, I've got to go in and I've got to completely change everything all at once. And that is a recipe for failure. It's always a recipe for failure. The same way it is with exercise. It's a recipe for failure if you think you're just going to go out and have never exercised and you're going to go run a marathon. The same way goes with persuasion. The same way goes with servant leadership, all this kind of stuff. You have to start with small. And my recommendation is always you start with one thing. Pick it. Pick a very small thing, but build on it. Because that very small thing, that very small task will get people to trust in, to get to trust you. And the more they trust you, the more you can persuade in the future with your ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, it just reminds me of goal setting, effective goal setting. Um, you know, most people, yeah. when they, they start the new year, they set all these ambitious goals. And within two to three weeks, they're done, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's because they're, they're, they're biting off more than they can chew um, or they're trying to take the quick fix approach to, to uh, whether it's weight loss or, you know, whatever, you know, life goal they have. Um, it's the same kind of thing. So, so the power is in choosing um, something, a targeted, focused thing that you can um, give all of your attention to and then build your confidence. Um, so you work on that thing. Uh, you have some successes, you build your confidence, and now you can move on to the next thing. Uh, and you can build over time. Uh, it's the same thing when I'm talking with faculty. I do a lot of faculty development on my campus. And, and uh, when we're talking about faculty development stuff, uh, there's tons of things they could do to improve a class. But if they're trying to, if we take a shotgun approach and they're trying to do everything at once, then it's going to be an epic failure. They're going to get burned out and it's not going to yeah. work. Same thing with developing a servant leadership mindset and a servant leadership skill set. Um, you, you just start have to start working at it, but you do need to start. You need to start um, working on it and choose something and be intentional about it and focused on it, and things will get better. Um, I had a couple examples come to mind as you were talking. Um, the first, you may be familiar with it. It's kind of a classic example. Um, the Pike's Place Fish Market in Seattle. Have you ever been there? Oh, yeah. Or, um, or seen anything about um, uh, the fish market? They, it's, a, it's a fun, interactive place. And I actually share a, a video case study uh, about this with my students in my introduction to human resource management class. Um, really early on in the semester, we talk about it because what you have in the, the case of that fish market is that they are one of probably five different um, fish shops uh, in Pike's Market, um, which is this down this downtown waterfront market with flowers and fish and crafts and all sorts of things, right? So they're not the only fish market; they're one of like five, um, and so there's lots of competition, and they're they're just trying to make ends meet. And about 30, 40 years ago, they had a new um, owner. Um, a new boss takeover uh, who didn't really know how to lead and was a micromanager. And, and the outcomes were about as what you would expect. Um, they churned through people. They were fighting just to stay competitive with the other, um, with the other uh, fish vendors. And ultimately, you know, they, they were just doing enough to survive, but, but uh, just barely. And a consultant actually reached out to this person and had a conversation with with the owner and said hey I, I think there's something we could do here 
and uh, the owner wasn't particularly open to it at the time, uh, but, but uh, the consultant convinced him, let's just try it on a trial basis. And over the course of, of a couple months of just having some meetings and just having some discussions, he, uh, this consultant started to open the owner's mind to this idea of there's a different way to lead. There's a, a way to lead where I can empower my people. Long story short, over the course of uh, a year or two, and having lots of meetings with these really blue collar type workers. I mean, being a fishmonger in a fish market is not glamorous work. It's, it's, it's hard work, it's smelly work, it's dirty, grimy work. Um, and, but working with these people, they started to develop a culture of coaching, of mutual trust and development, uh, and they created a, an organization that was innovative and they created a whole new way to, uh, to interact with with the customers and to, to, to enhance the customer experience. And ultimately, they, they, became, they achieved the owner's goal of becoming world famous, uh, something that's talked about in business schools around the world. Uh, uh, tourists go there just to have the experience with the fish market. Um, and all that happened because of the mind shift of the manager who's a micromanager who shifted towards persuasion, who, who shifted um, towards empowering their employees and helping helping the employees to understand their potential and and the employees over time bought into it but it was the long game it, it didn't happen overnight it it took years to develop that another example I was just interviewing um, someone else for the podcast a couple days ago and uh, and she runs the largest uh, custodial uh, cleaning business in the Cincinnati uh, metro area um, and when she and her husband um, took over this business 30 some years ago, uh, same kind of thing. Their mindset was micromanaging. They saw people as equipment. You know, essentially, we need mops, we need people, um, and that's how the people were treated. And and they they started to have uh, a shift in their thinking and created an empowering environment where they were able to where where now they're able to um, beat the industry turnover rate. They have like um, 80% lower turnover than the industry rate because everyone wants to work for them. They pay a living wage. They have benefits. They value their people. They help them with things that they need help with. They, you know, they, they see them as the, as a whole person. Um, you know, when you do those things, guess what? People get committed and they're not hard to persuade. Um, right. so, so I, I and, and the reason I bring up those examples is because those are like blue collar types of organizations and jobs. Uh, sometimes we talk about these ideas and people think, yeah, well, that's like white collar, that's like tech companies. They're the only ones where that applies. You couldn't do this in retail. You couldn't do this in, in you know, with fishmongers. You couldn't do this with custodial workers. You can't do this with, um, with factory workers. It's not true. You can do this with any kind of worker, with any type of organization. Um, it, it just takes your intention and commitment to learn how to do it. Um, if you will just put in the effort and you're not going to get it perfect and you're not going to get it right every time and, and you're, you'll experiment and some things will fall flat on your face, but that's okay. Um, because your employees will see your sincerity and they will know that you're trying and they will be forgiving of the failures if they know that you're trying. Yeah, that's a good word, sincerity. Yeah, that's an excellent word. Let me tell you, because I come from both worlds. So I retired a firefighter. That's a blue collar job. I spent 
my whole career as a, as a blue collar, blue collar guy, right? Before I came into academia. And here's the thing about blue collar people. They want to be loyal to their organization. One of my favorite books out there is um, Liar's Poker. Have you ever read that by Michael Lewis? Oh, it's phenomenal. It's about his time at Solomon Brothers and the whole bond thing and all this stuff. And it's just about how people like the minute they get that good offer from somebody else, they're bouncing, they're out, they're gone. It's that whole, we're traders, we're going where the, the best money is, we're out. Well, the blue collar mindset, that steam fitter, pipe fitter, union plumber, they don't have that, they don't think like that. They're more along the lines of, we want to be loyal to you. All we want is to have loyalty back to us. Firefighters are that way, police officers are that way. They just, they want loyalty. They want sincerity from their bosses. And they also don't need to be, they don't need their hands held either. They're not, and, and their nose is wiped. It's a whole different way of being. And so when you stand up and you actually show from a leadership standpoint that you give a damn about your people, your people will do whatever it takes. And I'm, and I'm just telling you that as somebody who comes from the blue collar world. And I consider enlisted military blue collar, you know, you're not living in this beautiful officer's mansion and going, going to these, these fancy parties and stuff like that, right? And so when you see companies like Custodial, when you see, and, and if you go up to Pike's Place Market, it, it's packed full of people, right? Like people are coming and seeing them throw fish, they're seeing them, you know, they have customers through the roof because of this behavior. But the people who work for them become loyal. They don't want to leave. That's why you see in the Rust Belts of the United States so much despair because those people were loyal and they gave everything that they had to those factories and those jobs mattered to them and the success of those factories mattered to them and they rode for their brand and they were proud of it. They were proud workers, proud people, and they weren't looking for the next thing. They were proud. And so if you're a good boss and you can persuade people to take on stuff because they know that you have their best interest in mind, man, your life is on easy street. And now you, all of a sudden you have an entire workforce of people that are willing to take a bullet for you. I don't, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. It's not, like I said, you have to start with these little tasks because you want to know why, especially when it comes to working class people, when it comes to blue collar people, they're not going to trust you right away. They can't trust you right away. You need to earn that trust, especially if you didn't work with them in the field. If you just came in from the outside and you took over an organization, you're another suit. Yeah. Well, and, so, and I think too, that a lot of workers are just used to being stepped on, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, big time. so you just need to recognize that it may not have anything to do with you, but if you're new, to the organization or new in your role, you just have to recognize that people have been stepped on repeatedly. They've been um, exploited, used and abused by organizations repeatedly. And, and so it takes time to help build trust. So they, they recognize that, hey, you, you actually are someone that they can count on, who will stand up for them when the, when, you know, the organization comes after you, for example. Um, you know, it, 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 you just have to be aware of that because it's, it's the reality. Um, and you have to meet people where they're at to develop trust. Oh yeah. You know what? That's well said. 
You have to meet people where they're at to develop trust. You, that, that's the whole empathy thing. That's the humility thing. It's, it's getting out of that ivory tower and going to where the people are, where the rubber meets the road and earning that trust of your people. Because people want to trust you. Most, most people don't walk through life completely jaded and negative. You know, you think, of a, you think of a shelter dog when you go and adopt the dog. I don't care how kind and loving you are. If the previous owner beat the hell out of that, that, that poor thing, then it's going to wince every time you go to pet it, no matter what you do. And like you said, you might not have caused the damage in the beginning, but you have to understand that people have been damaged in these organizations. But when you humbly step forward and you develop that trust with people, when it comes time to have to persuade in order to that direction that you need to go, they'll totally carry the water. They will. And they will be as loyal as the day is long. And they're not going to look at jumping ship on you either because you had that, I don't know, you had that real character. You became that person that you've always wanted to work for. And that's really what servant leadership is about. It's about becoming the individual that you yourself always desired to work for. Well said, well said. Well, Eric, time has flown. It's been a really fun discussion. I, I think there's a, a lot more that we could discuss around, you know, the oversecting, the intersecting and, and overlapping issues of, of, uh, of persuasion and trust and power and, and servant leadership. Um, but I, but I think this will have to do for today. Um, as we close, I just want to encourage listeners again, to go back and listen to our previous episodes in the servant leadership series. And to, I hope that you'll take one thing, just choose one thing from what we said today. Um, and think about how you can apply it into your workplace right now. Uh, if you can do that and just make that a habit, um, of, of trying to take that one thing, um, I think you'll start to see a measurable improvement in how you relate to your employees and how, how you lead. Um, Eric, before we end, any final words that you want to say? Mm, no, I liked how you finished. That was good. That was okay. Good. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you again. Um, we'll do this again next week. And uh, until then, uh, I hope everyone is healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.